In this country, we believe that there should be freedom for all, even though not all of us believe in it. Join Tom and Chase as they explore politics, economics, and everything else that threatens your individual liberty. This is The Briefing Podcast. All right, we are live. Free for all, episode 12. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Free For All Podcast. As always, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at Free For All Podcast and over on Twitter at FFA Podcast 1776. Our podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And just be sure to like and subscribe to the show and keep up to date with what's going on. So uh, I hope everybody has been well since the last episode that aired. As I'm sure you guys already kind of figured out with everything that went on this last week, you guys could probably already guess where the show is going this week. And this week, it's one subject and one subject only, which is guns. Uh, if you're listening to us, odds are you probably own one, whether it's a handgun, a shotgun, a hunting rifle, or the infamously hated AR-15. Our Second Amendment is once again just under attack because of the latest mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado earlier this week. And uh, because the shooter used an AR-15, this now gives Looney Uncle Joe and his sidekick the vehicle that they need to bring gun control back to the spotlight. So, uh, you know, as we get into this subject, there's quite a lot to go through here. And I want to kind of lay the groundwork out for um, what we're going to talk about later on. Because first, I, w- I want to try to kind of explore... Uh, the sorts of gun laws that Colorado and even more specifically the city of Boulder have already enacted. Um, So in Colorado specifically, Colorado has universal background checking laws, a 15 round magazine limit, extreme risk protection order or red flag laws. The gun show and boyfriend loopholes have been closed. Um, Mental adjudication prevents firearm, uh, firearm ownership in Colorado. Restraining orders also prevent firearm ownership. And those are all gun laws that are present in the state of Colorado at the time of this shooting. Now, specifically in Boulder, we have an assault weapons ban. Um, So these uh, assault weapons that Joe Biden likes to refer to AR-15s as, those are already banned. And then you also have 10-round magazine limits. Um, And so, you know, as you can probably grasp by just hearing all of these different restrictions and laws... Colorado is one of the most strict states when it comes to the ability to own firearms and the hoops that you need to jump through in order just to obtain one. Um, to put it into perspective, too, with, with this whole 10-round magazine limit in Boulder, most handguns have a higher magazine capacity than 10 rounds. Um, most handguns, if you don't get a subcompact, are double stacks, which means that your magazine has two stacks of rounds in it. And typically that means that you've got about 16 to 18. So, you know, the magazine capacity is so low in Colorado that uh, most handguns have a higher capacity uh, than you can have with ARs if you could even own them. And so obviously, you know, if you've paid any attention to the media coverage of this incident, there's been quite a lot of misinformation going around, um, starting with just the fact that the media was very quick to pin this on white supremacy. And it's funny because we later find out that the shooter was a Trump-hating radical Muslim named Ahmad al-Aliwi Elisa. Uh, And yet the media was still very quick to take away their support of Muslims and then claimed that despite being Muslim and very dark skin tone, uh, he was Arab by birth, but quote unquote, white by morality, which is just another bullshit way of saying that, uh, of trying to claim that he was somehow a white supremacist, even though it doesn't line up with their narrative. 
Yeah, exactly. They're just kind of switching, flip-flopping again. Um, yeah, all these members of the media and these Twitter users, uh, these blue checkmark verified people who have a ton of clout on Twitter and people listen to them and all they do is talk out their ass. Um, these people were saying uh, they would bet. I, you know, We posted on our Instagram, one guy is like, oh, I'll bet on my whole salary. It was a white MAGA guy. And I, you know, I just want to ask, how's that not racist? How's that not exactly what they claim the right is every single day? And how's that not a stereotype? You know, the whole uh, nerdy white guy or whatever mass shooter, which they also try to claim that MAGA people are, which is absolutely crazy and ass backwards. But, um, you know, they get proven wrong by the fact that this guy's a Muslim and he's not like a white American or whatever. And they refuse to admit it. They just they just change the game or move the goalposts or whatever. They delete their tweets, uh, which a lot of them got screenshotted, which is complete gold to see these people flip flopping and posting something different uh, with the timeline of when all the information came out, uh, the guy's name and everything switching from the, you know, he's a MAGA white guy narrative to he's a Muslim sort of thing. But uh, instead of instead of correcting themselves and saying he was a Muslim, they just switched to the secondary straw man, which is white supremacy, which is what they blame everything on. Yeah, I actually saw uh, Eric July did an episode of uh, his For Cain and Sake podcast um, a couple days ago. I want to say it was earlier this week um, when this actually happened. And he actually had one of his moderators go on Twitter because he was busy that day and screenshot all of the tweets um, saying that it was probably a MAGA white guy and everything. And it was like stupid the amount of tweets that this guy screenshotted and sent to him. And he read all of them on the podcast and he was just like, and this isn't even all of them. It's just crazy that that's that's their immediate response. But, um, you know, going back to this actual shooting. So, like, what exactly happened? So um, from what we know so far, sources have been kind of mixed on uh, the number of days that he had actually had possession of this gun um, before he committed this shooting. So somewhere in the neighborhood of six to ten days, he had this gun before he, uh, he committed this act of violence. And. There's absolutely no record of where the gun was purchased. And this stands to fall in line with the Bureau of Justice statistics, which uh, state that just 10% of criminals obtain firearms from a legal source and an overwhelming 43% obtain them from the underground black market. Um, keep in mind that Colorado has the same universal background checking policy as just about every other state in the United States. What this means is that if this gun was purchased legally, there is a paper trail leading to where it was purchased. And so now, if uh, the Bureau of Justice and the FBI and all these uh, different government agencies that are investigating uh, this shooting uh, can't find where this gun was purchased, odds are it falls in line with this 43% statistic of him obtaining the gun from an underground black market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would assume that anybody who doesn't either purchase it legally or uh, get it from the black market is like using somebody else's gun. And either way, there's still a paper trail to the actual gun owner. And at that point, it's just like, what the hell are you letting somebody use your gun to commit crimes? Uh, I would just charge that person with a crime. But um, yeah, like, like you said, just 10% of criminals obtain firearms from a legal source. And that's just the complete opposite of what we hear every day. Almost they just want to restrict legal ownership, basically. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's almost always a paper trail and, uh, the, you know, the media likes to portray that we already don't have some sort of registry with firearms, uh, because they want to, you know, 
enact these bills to create a national registry or whatever. And we technically don't have a national registry, but the paper trail is there for law enforcement agencies. So, I mean, if you're decent at forensics, you know, just look up the gun serial number and the government already has the serial number of the gun and then they have your name and all your information and you've already done a background check and all that. And if there's any prior involvement in law enforcement, the fingerprints are going to be on the file. So I don't know. There's pretty much already a national registry and there's ways to figure out uh, where these guns are and who owns them, obviously. Well, yeah, we don't technically we we don't have a, a, a technical registry by name. But if you are one of our listeners who have purchased a gun before, um, you know that when you walk into a gun shop and say point at a gun and say, oh, like, that's what I was looking for. I want to purchase this. You immediately have to fill out a two to three page uh, application in order to purchase the firearm. You then get run through the FBI background checking database and they will background check the absolute shit out of you uh, to make sure that you don't have a serious mental health history. Uh, or any other problems before uh, they'll let you purchase the gun. And even then, if you do not have a concealed carry permit, a lot of times you have a uh, waiting period. So for instance, in our home state of Florida, your waiting period is three days. So you can walk in, you can submit your application, even if your background check comes back clean, you're still going to wait three days before you can walk home with that gun. And that's just all for show. Literally, the three-day wait period does absolutely nothing. Um, And for all these people that they claim are buying guns legally to commit these crimes, this small amount of 10%. If you're really planning on committing a crime, wouldn't you plan it out more than three days ahead? I guess some people act on impulse or whatever, but uh, who is this three-day wait really hurting besides somebody who might be in imminent danger that might need a gun to defend themselves, like a lady who's, uh, whose husband's violent and they need to move out? Has a, like a stalker ex-boyfriend or something, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you need to defend yourself. You're worried about getting raped or killed or something. And, you know, if if somebody's going to commit a crime and they're going to be successful, I bet this Boulder guy was planning it out like weeks or months ahead. Um, Obviously, he had a six or, or, you know, probably some sort of waiting period and he bought the gun days and days ahead. So uh, who the hell is this law stopping? Well, that's again, that's if he bought it legally. Yeah, again, that's if he bought it legally. Right now, there's no paper trail, and so we're we're, go- we're operating under the assumption that he got it off the black market. Okay, which would stand to reason. Mm. Um, so anyway, back to this whole shooting. The so the shooter opened fire at a supermarket in Boulder, and he ends up killing ten people. And and so again, if we operate under the assumption that he did obtain this gun legally, he only had a ten round magazine which then implies that he fired all 10 rounds and killed somebody with every single shot that he fired, meaning that he was somehow an expertly trained marksman, even though he supposedly never owned a gun before this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely harder. Um, I, like, I'm not a trained shooter or anything, but I've shot at a shooting range and I've watched like videos of people shooting moving targets, uh, glaze and stuff like that. And it's, it's a lot harder to shoot a moving target especially something where you don't know which direction they're going to run. They're probably trying to dodge bullets or whatever. Yeah. And so uh, authorities have since interviewed his family who have claimed that he was having delusions and hallucinations of people like following and threatening him. Um, it, it would definitely stand a reason that he was mentally unfit to possess a firearm. And then I want to go back to Colorado's gun laws because if he was mentally unfit, as his family claims, he should not have been able to legally own a firearm to begin with. There are laws that prevent it. Yeah. So if there are laws that prevent it, 
How the hell did he get it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- there's like no solution to get out of his hands preemptively. Like, what are they going to do? Give everybody a uh, a psychiatric test every year or something to determine whether you're able to have a gun? That's just people would lie on that or whatever. There's really no way to make sure preemptively that these mentally ill people don't get their hands on guns. But either way, they're going to still try to ratchet up the laws. And all that's going to really do is take away our rights, all the other people, the 99.9% um, to defend ourselves, basically. And see, too, I want to I wanna bring my, uh, my healthcare background in here for a second, because this also comes into play that the government's own stupid red tape laws are coming back to bite them in the ass because you have HIPAA. You have HIPAA, which prevents disclosure of certain medical information. And so even if the government tried to get a hold of some of this stuff, they can't legally obtain it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure if like these people are doing counseling and stuff, um, there's different uh, laws where, you know, you can disclose certain things. So maybe some of these uh, behaviors. But it's only if it's it's only if the it's yeah, exactly. It's only if the patient discloses to their therapist or whoever they're talking to that they plan to hurt other people or hurt themselves. That's that the only time that they can disclose information. Yeah, that too. Um, and uh, you know, they you know, if, even if they have like these crazy tendencies, but anybody who really wants to commit a crime still will. And like we've seen, this guy was uh, mentally ill. He probably, if he obtained the gun legally, he probably hid his. Um, hit his symptoms like if you really wanted to commit a crime and you were mentally ill would you act like you're like you're freaking crazy all day no you wouldn't you would hide it and you would bottle it up and then you would unleash it obviously and that's probably what he did you know even if he can't get it legally he's going to turn to the black market because he's that sick and that messed up that he's going to try really hard to get a firearm to kill people and you know we proved this earlier the fbi with fbi statistics saying that a plurality of these shootings, what is it like 43% just from one cause or from one uh, origin rather of these guns uh, from the black market. And the laws aren't going to stop anybody from transacting in the black market at all. It's crazy. And ironically, the US government is almost the biggest uh, pusher of black market firearms if you look up Fast and Furious. Yep. But, uh, you know, we've we've consistently seen over the course of the last decade uh, that people who are mentally unstable still seem to always be able to obtain firearms. And a lot of times uh, it turns out the FBI knows about it and does nothing. And they'll tell you if you see something, say something. And yet even when they know or are warned 18 other times, like, uh, for instance, the shooter in Parkland, uh, they don't act. And, and it's it, it starts to beg the question, like. Why do they always know that this stuff is going to happen, but they don't act? And uh, what we want to talk about this week goes hand in hand with the episode that we did last week, and that's the Democrat plot to take over. I would highly encourage you guys to listen to that episode as well if you haven't. You know, the reason the FBI and subsequently the U.S. government does not act on these tips is very, very, very simple. If mass shootings continue to happen, it gives them the vehicle they need to disarm you. Think about it. If there were no mass shootings, what motive is there for the government to disarm you? If there were no mass shootings, there'd be absolutely no support for quote-unquote gun control. And I want everybody to pay attention to the last word, which is control, because that is exactly what it is all about. It's all about control. The government is afraid of us 
because we possess the means to fight back when they wrong us. If they disarm you and you're defenseless, you can be forced to comply with whatever it is they want to force you to do. And so what about this gun violence epidemic uh, that the government says is so bad? I wanted you guys to have the facts about gun violence straight from the Bureau of Justice. According to the FBI, 297 people were killed in the U.S. in 2018, and that is with rifles. This is not just AR-15s, but all semi-automatic automatic rifles, including your basic FUD hunting guns that Tom has talked about before, uh, which means that the number of people killed with AR-15s was even lower than that 297 number. Tom has also mentioned on another previous episode that we have done uh, that people used to call Joe Biden Shotgun Joe uh, after an interview that he did where he stated, this is an interview and I'm quoting him, uh, you do not need an AR-15, they're harder to aim, and you don't need 30 bullets to protect yourself. Buy a shotgun. In 2018, 235 people were killed with shotguns. Yeah, and uh, Joe even said you don't even need to shoot the shotgun, that just cocking the shotgun was more than enough to scare the criminal away, even like behind your door or whatever. Um, you know, th that might be true. I know a lot of people buy pump actions just because of that, but uh, it's just kind of like a common FUD saying that they used to demonize these newer firearms because um, I don't know if they're like jealous or what, but uh, they basically, people don't want you to own these guns because they think that they're super scary or whatever, but they don't realize, obviously you can, kill somebody with a shotgun just as you can kill somebody with an ar-15 it's it's uh it's arguably uh more brutal with a shotgun but um you know like you said like a bunch of deaths and not a lot of rifle deaths contrary to what the media claims and it's just kind of a scapegoat people put on the u.s exactly and so uh your discrepancy between uh rifle deaths and shotgun deaths is only about 70 people um and so moving on, um, a lot, the, the typical leftist comeback argument to gun statistics are, uh, you know, what about the United Kingdom? They have lower rates of gun deaths because they banned guns, correct? Well, in 2018, the stabbing rate in London was so high that the mayor of London issued a blade ban. Um, so then let's hop back to um, United States statistics. How many people then in the United States died from stabbings? The answer to that question is 1,515 in 2018 alone, which is five times more than rifles and shotguns combined. Mm -hmm. And then how many people were killed in the U.S. in hand-to-hand -hand combat, meaning uh, the aggressor and the victim were both unarmed? 672 people. Again, higher than both rifles and shotguns combined. You are more likely to be clapped by somebody that knows karate than you are to get shot by an AR-15. And the government wants to ban rifles or guns more broadly because it's the only thing standing in the way of complete control. And this is why countries in Europe can do whatever the hell it is that they want to their own people because they don't possess the means to fight back. All they can do in the UK, the UK and anywhere in Europe or anywhere else, all they can do is protest and rally and throw rocks or other objects. In the US, if the government pisses the people off enough, they can throw back 223s and 556. That's the advantage we have living here. And so, what, what this all comes down to is that this is not about saving lives like Joe Biden wants you to think it is. Because if it was, we'd be talking about stabbing deaths, which are five times higher than deaths with rifles. The Second Amendment is the only thing that stands in the way of complete government control. Yeah, exactly. And they, all, all they want to do is control. 
and they want to keep the guns for themselves. Like, look at DC. It's a gun-free zone. Like, you're not allowed to own a gun there unless you're basically like a senator or you like work for the federal government or you're one of their one of their armed guards. And obviously, like DC is the capital of the US and they can't even abide by the constitution. So it's completely ridiculous. And uh, to add on top of what you were saying about London, you know, there's always always these memes and um, like these screenshots taken from these UK police departments where they're like, oh, we cap, we know we took a lot of weapons off the street and it's like butter knives and scissors and shit. Like imagine your kid has like scissors in their backpack and they're not, you know, the right kind of scissors or whatever. And you send them to school and they get sent home or they get a referral or God forbid they get arrested and their live ruined because they had a pair of scissors like that's so cucked. <laughs> I don't know why anybody wants to live in that. That's literally, it's literally the solution they want to come to is disarm you completely. Well, you also brought up DC being gun free. You know, uh, where else was gun free? The supermarket that this shooting occurred in, in Boulder was a gun free zone. Uh, apparently, so the, the leftists want you to believe that these uh, gun-free zone signs work and that people somehow see the sign and have a gun on them and say, oh, shit, I can't bring my gun in here. There's a sign. I'm going to go put it back. Like, that, that, that's not how any of this works. Um, and so Joe Biden has continuously stated um, that there are loopholes in the background checking system, but a lot of people are, are asking, you know, what the hell is he really talking about? Um, and so he's he's referring to uh, two different bills uh, right now, which are H.R. one four four six and H.R. Uh, eight. So the first bill, H.R. fourteen forty six, is uh, one of the ones he's referring to. The Charleston loophole is what he likes to call it. Um, and so this uh, Charleston loophole is in reference to the shooting that occurred at a church in Charleston, South Carolina, several years ago, where the shooter, who will not be named because everybody knows who he is, bought the gun legally complied with the mandatory three-day waiting period in South Carolina, and then was, was then subject to a background check, just like anybody else would be. Uh, and the background check actually revealed a drug charge. So what the FBI chose to do was investigate that further. Uh, the FBI then contacted the incorrect police jurisdiction in South Carolina about the drug possession. And so what we found out after this happened is that had they called the right police jurisdiction, they would have learned that he had actually admitted to still possessing the drug when he was arrested and originally charged, which would have immediately disqualified him from purchasing the gun. But because of the government's own error, I'll say that again, the government's own error, he was allowed to purchase the gun. So you're going to tell me that the government that wants to instate all these stupid laws, they can't even perfect the ones that they already have. They can't even make them work. Yeah, exactly. You know, you got to wonder with uh, the whole FBI contacting the wrong jurisdiction. It's almost like like we were talking about the control narrative before, and the FBI is obviously just another arm of the deep state, and it just serves its own uh, purpose of claiming that it's important and getting more money thrown at it, basically like every other government bureaucracy. But you got to wonder... Is this incompetence on the part of the FBI or is it on purpose? Because obviously the more that these, like we were saying, the more that these mass shootings happen, the more control that they get. Um, but I mean, that's just kind of a rhetorical question. 
And uh, with this whole Charleston shooting, I remember when Biden started running for president, he was claiming that the Charleston shooting is what motivated him to run. Um, you know, he was saying he wants to fix all these rela uh, race relations and stuff. But, you know, this guy is the same guy, Biden, uh, that was decades ago was on TV saying the N word um, as an insult, not as a joke. He wasn't like saying my, you know, but he was actually saying we don't need the, you know, we don't need another hotshot blank mayor. And uh, you guys can look this up and. I'm supposed to believe that he suddenly gets motivated by seeing these black people die and wants to fix everything. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and what's what Tom's at referring to is the fact that the shooting occurred in uh in an African American church. It wasn't uh yeah. it wasn't just a normal uh church. Yeah. Um so the other bill that Biden has been talking about is HR8, which is the universal background checking bill. He claims that this is the best tool that we have to prevent mass shootings, which is ironically hilarious considering the Justice Department said back in 2013 that a foolproof universal background checking policy doesn't even address the fact that there's an underground black market for firearms that exists within the United States. And also that a universal background checking policy would only be effective with a gun registry for the entire country. And so what this comes down to is it means one of two things. Either A, Biden wants to pass a bill that his own Justice Department has already stated almost eight years ago was ineffective. Or B, HR 8 is just a precursor to US, U.S. gun registry, which we've already talked about. And so right now, Joe Biden wants to ban assault weapons and quote unquote weapons of war. But what happens when he finds out that over 80% of gun deaths, according to the FBI in the U.S., are committed with handguns? Well, is he going to come for those next? Are those now going to be deemed weapons of war and assault weapons? Well, most all handguns are semi-automatic and possess a lot of the same traits. Um, they don't really work the same as rifles, but they possess a lot of the same traits as the rifles. So I don't I don't even see why they wouldn't or they haven't already started coming after those first, because you can conceal a pistol and uh, you can kill just about as many people. I mean, it's it's just as deadly almost. So I'm surprised that's not the first thing they came after. Um, well, and speaking speaking as a handgun owner myself, handguns are a lot easier to operate than a rifle as well. With a rifle, yeah. you got to spend a lot more time with that thing to learn how it works as opposed to a handgun where you can just pick it up and it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so obviously, you know, this is going to continue to happen until the next tragedy. And until little by little, the Second Amendment is gone entirely and there's no tool to prevent a complete government takeover. And honestly, while we're on the topic of HR bills, I also wanted to talk about HR 127, which is the bill that Tom and I referenced on the show two weeks ago. Um, and so we were talking about how HR 127 is like the worst, the, the, the worst possible gun control bill that the Democrats could have ever come up with. Um, and so what H.R. 127 would require is that all gun owners report every gun that they own and where they are kept within their homes within three months of passage. And then on top of that, all of the information that you then disclose about what weapons you own and where you keep them would then be added to a database that is made accessible to the public, meaning that everybody around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, um, people on Facebook. If they can get your name, they can go and search you in that database and figure out what you own and where you keep it in your house. But it doesn't stop there. You must then go and apply for a license to own every single gun that you have. Licenses would also vary by the type of gun, meaning that separate licenses 
or, or meaning that you would need separate licenses to own a handgun. You would need another separate license to own a shotgun, and you would need another one to own an AR. And antique guns. So you're talking about like uh, guns like the M1 Grand uh, and a couple others, you know, uh, that were used back in like World War II, Vietnam, uh, that kind of thing. Antique guns must also be registered, uh, even if they no longer work or are kept in display cases. And it's funny that display cases are mentioned because this bill also forbids you from even displaying them within your own home. So you're talking about your grandfather that fought in World War II uh, and you have a couple of his old antique guns and display cases around your house. Uh, this bill would forbid you from even displaying those. You'd, you'd have to cover them up and put them in the attic or something like that and leave them to, leave them to rot. Um, and then any yeah. violation of this bill is an immediate 50K fine and 10 to 15 years in federal prison at minimum. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, I didn't even realize the uh, public firearms record thing. I mean, that just seems so stupid. Uh, it just seems like people are going to know every gun that you have and they're just going to want to break into your house. And obviously, this is just going to cause more societal division. Um, you know, the majority right wing people that own these guns are going to get their houses broken into by thugs or whatever. And it's basically just going to be a mass targeting of right wing people. And not to mention that when these houses do inevitably inevitably get broken into uh, to steal these guns, it's going to create more black market firearms, which is going to amp up the availability of criminals to get them and just cause more shootings and just the cycle is just going to repeat and repeat and get worse. Snowball. I would agree with that to an extent because I do definitely think that, you know, if they do figure out that you own guns or whatever, what happens if you're home and you have the ability to use them? Um, it, that definitely is um, a threat to their mm. own life. And if they plan on walking out of whatever crime they're trying to commit, if they can't plan on walking out of that alive, um, they're going to choose a different victim. And so what I was going to say is almost the complete opposite is that, those are going, those might be people that they choose not to rob or not to screw with or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're going to look for people that aren't in that database that don't own any weapons. And then they are going to be the targets. But yeah. honestly, the I people mean, that own, way. yeah, it could go either way. But honestly, it's like the, if, if the people that don't own any weapons are the victims of the crimes, honestly, in my personal opinion, you have it coming because the people that don't own guns are typically the ones that vote for gun control. So. Um, you know, many people obviously believe that the only answer, like Biden says, is to ban guns. But who then possesses all of them if they're no longer in the hands of citizens? You see um, police departments, again, in our home state of, uh, of Florida, we actually posted on our Instagram some screenshots of uh, a gun buyback that was occurring in Pensacola, Florida, where a guy basically had these little, uh, what were they, like little pipe guns that he built out of out of metal pipe wood and, and uh, PVC yeah, wood and or metal something. Pipe. I don't even yeah. know. But he proved that they worked and the Pensacola Police Department gave him $200 a pop for him and I think he had four. So that man walked away with like 800 bucks mm -hmm. for these stupid little garage-made guns. But, you know, if they're no longer in the hands of citizens, who then possesses them? And the answer, again, is quite simple. The police and the government. And what, what I want to point out is how the hell does this make any sense when six months ago, the same Democrats who uh, are now wanting to buy the guns back and give them to, uh, to the police departments, these same Democrats six months ago were claiming that the police are systematically racist and use excessive force on a regular basis. So your answer now 
is to give them 100% sole total access to firearms to then continue to use excessive force on you. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't sit here and say that the police are bad, they're systematically racist, and they constantly use excessive force on people, and then pivot and also argue that they're the one, the only ones that should be able to own guns. Yeah. And they always say totalitarians ban gun first. Ban bans gun. <laughs> they always say totalitarians ban guns first. And it's so obvious. I mean, how can you defy their orders if you have no means to defy? And you know, we see these police uh these police departments keep getting more and more technologically advanced, uh basically having access to weapons of war themselves when you, you know, look at SWAT teams with armored vehicles, grenade launchers and stuff. And at the same time, they're 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 tearing down your rights more and more and restricting your rights and saying you don't have access to all the latest technology, but we're going to keep getting more technologically advanced and better and get these more expensive weapons. And it's just more and more of a way to build themselves up and break you down at the same time. And it's just absolutely crazy. So where all of these arguments lead to then is... If we don't take guns away, what what's the answer? Uh, what would be the libertarian answer to this problem? And the libertarian answer to this problem has and always will be for more citizens to arm themselves and for more citizens to take the ability to protect themselves into their own hands. We have seen over the last decade, especially, that the response time for police continues to go up uh, rather than down. First, it was, you know, two to three minutes, then it was five minutes, now it's eight minutes, then it could be 10 minutes. You know, it keeps going up, it doesn't go down. And so what I wanted to ask you as listeners is what happens when your life is threatened and you have no access to a phone to call the police? What happens when the police are called, but they don't show up in time to save you? You are honestly going to sit there and tell me that you would rather your life end right then and there rather than possessing the ability to neutralize the threat on your own. You're telling me that you would forfeit the ability to call the police and answer questions about why you defended yourself rather than your family taking flower deliveries and making funeral arrangements for you because you are yet another statistic of crime in the United States and had no ability to prevent it on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, these people always talk about tragedies and racism and stuff. And, you know, the greatest tragedies are wars. It's it's stuff that government does, literally. I mean, the government's the greatest killer. Um, and as right-wingers begin to turn away from backing the blue, you know, the police failed to control these last summer's riots with BLM and all this stuff. We're going to start seeing more and more solutions being thrown out. You know, uh, privatized stuff or different public solutions. Yeah, I know a lot of cities, uh, liberal cities like Minneapolis were defunding their police departments and replacing them with alternative means of corrections like rehab or uh, social work departments. And uh, basically, they have no uh, armed guards now in their society. It's it's crazy. But, uh, you know, however, you're instituting this umbrella policy for everybody and there's no consumer choice. So. Whether, what you're either going to end up with is a new system that has no criminal justice to where um, you have these social workers who are just going, oh, please be nice, while people are throwing Molotovs and breaking into stores. Or you have a system where, like before, where we talk about police departments getting more and more militarized, that's going to be completely overarching 
So um, like I said, since there's no consumer choice, people can't, or the market can't decide, you know, what is the exact level of um, policing that we want. So for example, if policing was left up to the market, then the citizens would probably say, hey, we don't want to arrest people for nonviolent drug crimes because it's taking up a lot of resources from our police department. And, uh, you know, they, those resources could be spent elsewhere fighting, you know, criminal uh, like violent criminals. But now we have the system where violent criminals are now the ones running around. Meanwhile, uh, you know, we're, we're talking nice to everybody else. So I don't really know. And obviously, since this is a one size fits all policy and it was such a knee jerk reaction to the whole George Floyd incident, um, I don't I don't think that this is going to be a really good long term solution. I think that uh, crime in Minnesota is going to skyrocket and this is obviously going to be the cause. Well, and see, Tom and I are both anarcho capitalists as well. And the ANCAP answer to all of this would be slightly different in the fact that ANCAPs want government gone entirely, no central government at all, in favor of private ownership, individual rights. And so the ANCAP answer to this would then be private security firms rather than a universally public funded police force like we have now. And so the thought behind this is that if you replace it with um, private security firms, if you're in a total capitalist society, you would then have different security firms that rise to compete with each other for your money. And so what you could do is pay uh, one of these security firms as you know your specific police force. You can call them in the event that you are in danger or need help. And the minute that one of these security firms wrongs you, you can then pull that funding. You can stop paying them Tell them to go screw themselves and go and hire one of the other security firms and say, hey, uh, so-and-so from this security firm uh, did this to shot my dog when he showed up on the scene instead of doing what I needed to be done. Uh, and I don't want to mm -hmm. use them anymore. I'm now going to pay you for my security instead. In other words, all of these grievances yeah. that these people have where they're saying the police are systematically racist and police do all these wrong things. All these grievances would be satisfied by privatizing this because you then have the ability to choose who protects you. And if they do screw up, you have the ability to go and, and, and pick somebody else. You have the, the ability to change who protects you. You don't just have to deal with it. And so, um, yeah. and so that, that, that's the ANCAP answer in short. Um, but going back to uh, our original point, the, the reason that Tom and I advocate that more citizens arm themselves is because this has proven to be effective time and time and time again. Good guy with gun almost always stops the bad guy with gun. And the examples on YouTube are literally endless of this. Um, the most recent, more widely publicized example that I can think of was the attempted church shooting in Texas back in 2019. Um, a churchgoer with a handgun stopped a gunman with a rifle who attempted to shoot up his church. He did this from the opposite side of the room. Keep in mind, this is a very, very big church. Uh, churches in Texas are huge. Uh, they call them mega churches. But uh, this was in a mega church, and this this uh, good guy with a gun stopped uh, this gunman from shooting up his church with a rifle, and he did this from the opposite side of the room with no casualties whatsoever. The police and his own community later hailed him as a hero because he saved everybody inside and put his own life on the line to neutralize the threat. 
And you're never going to hear about um, any of the mass shootings being stopped with a good, by a good guy with a gun. Obviously, the leftists are just going to say, oh, you know, give me an example. Give me an example. Well, sorry, I don't have any because they were prevented from happening in the first place. And even if it is big news, like the guy in Texas, um, out of all the MSM, really only Fox cares because they're right wing or whatever. But, um, you know, sometimes Fox doesn't even care. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of the NRA, but uh, this guy was an NRA instructor. And that's obviously that obviously strikes another nerve with the liberal media. And they don't want to have anything to do with reporting on this guy, honestly, because that could come out as them supporting him or whatever. And it's just absolutely crazy. So they, they ask for evidence on the contrary. And I mean, I don't I don't really understand how I'm supposed to provide it. Oh, well, yeah. And the fact the NRA is an, a, a, an entirely different subject that I'm not going to get into right now. But yeah, he he was an NRA instructor. And, and what that example is, is it's it's proof of what I'm talking about in the fact that good guy with firearm and training almost always prevails over bad guy with gun because a lot of these criminals, you know, some of them may be organized, but the majority of them are not. The majority of these people that come in, uh, come in and try to commit these mass shootings are complete lunatics that have lost their minds or high off drugs or, or a mixture of all of that. And, you know, if you have the proper training and you're you're trained uh, situationally to be able to use your firearm to protect not only yourself but your property and other people around you, um, you know that's a good thing. And I don't understand why society would not want more of that. I feel more safe when I am in the room with somebody that is armed. If if you know I I have a concealed carry permit, you know I carry a gun and everything. But if I if I don't have my firearm on me personally, you know. I feel safer knowing that somebody around me does because in the event that somebody runs up on us or somebody tries to hit a lick or something, I feel safer when somebody else around me has a firearm because then I know that I am protected in in the event that something like that happens. And so what Tom and I want you guys to take away from this episode is that this whole gun violence epidemic is a government made myth that doesn't exist. You are more likely to be stabbed or or like I said, clapped to death barehanded by somebody who knows karate uh, than you are to be a victim of a mass shooting, much less a mass shooting committed with an AR-15. These shootings only seem common to everybody because the leftist media likes to publicize the absolute shit out of them to brainwash people into falling for their false claims when they're anything but true. The founding fathers of this country fought a violent revolution against tyrannical government in order to simply found the country. And the only reason they were able to do this was because they possessed the same firearms that the British had. And therefore, they had a means Mm -hmm. to fight back. This is why the Founding Fathers highlighted the importance of the right to bear arms, because it is the only thing that stands between you and absolute government control like they fought so hard against. Mm -hmm. And we need to work a lot harder today to secure that right almost. Because back then, I mean, the firearms were so simple that you could basically create them at your own house and cast your own ammo and everything. Soldiers would do that on the battlefield or like at camp between battles or whatever. And now we have these companies who are on the internet and stuff, 
and we already have background checks where everybody knows what guns you have and uh, all this other stuff. And or, or at least the government knows what you have. So we need to work even harder to secure our right to, uh, you know, the same armaments as the people who are most likely to oppress us. Exactly. It, like it, if if the government has the ability to own something, you should have the same ability. I'm not saying private citizens should own nukes. That's a different argument as well. But, you know, if the government has the ability to own certain weapons, if they have the ability to militarize their police force, there's absolutely no reason that private citizens shouldn't be able to to hold the same types of weapons. Because that is what that is mm-hmm. what allows them the ability to control you. If they know that they are better armed or that you are completely disarmed, they then have the ability to force you to do whatever the hell they want you to do. And they know that you're going to do it because you have absolutely no reason or no ability to fight back. And that's the problem that everybody mm-hmm. needs, or that, that's the argument that everybody needs to understand, is that owning guns is the only thing that prevents, uh, that prevents total government takeover. And without them, you are powerless to change anything. Yeah. So go ahead, continue protesting, continue yelling about police brutality, continue throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails at them, and see how far that gets you. Well, I mean, as long as it's police with like a uh, a rainbow patch on their arm, I guess they can do whatever they want to me, right? That's not oppression. Same thing as the white man bombing Syria with little uh, little hellfire missiles that have LGBT flags and BLM on the sides. Absolutely no. Is that real or is that a? uh, (laughs) It's a meme, meme? but it's a meme, but it could be real. We don't know. It's gonna start being real when they start uh, drafting women and drafting. you're letting these transgenders in, you know, sorry, just to get this point in and uh, rant a little bit, you know, this whole uh, transgender in the military thing, obviously, like I support their rights or whatever, but you got to realize when these people have such a high attempted suicide rate of like 40%, you can't be putting them in these sort of combat roles. And it's just absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, the military is, uh, you know, we, we talked previously on our uh, Capital Riots episode about how they're trying to root people out that have different ideas and get them out of the military. So it's just a complete different rebranding of statism and uh, rebranding of authoritarianism and power. And uh, just because it is the liberal brand of authoritarianism, it's okay with all these people and the media doesn't report on it. Uh, it's just absolutely wild. Well, and also, when the hell did the military become about inclusion? The military has always been about training. Who's trained to fight? Who, who can I send into battle that knows what they're doing and is not going to get killed immediately? The military shouldn't be about inclusion. It should, we shouldn't be worried about intersectionality in the military and who's the most intersectional and who, who checks the most uh, boxes and everything. It needs to be who knows what they're doing, who knows how to use a gun, who's trained. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just like, I don't want, I don't want a bunch of intersectional people protecting me. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't mean it like that. I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, I don't, I don't, I want people who are trained. I don't want, just want the military to accept whoever the hell they want just because they meet intersectional boxes. Yeah, exactly. I guess the Marines are going to have to change their name from the few, the proud, or like their slogan, uh, to just the proud. To, yeah, because they'll just be taking everybody. But uh, I think that <laughs> I think that's all we have for you guys this week. 
Um, I know I was definitely heated throughout much of this episode, and it's just because this this subject is is very uh, near and close to me. It's something that I am passionate about. Uh, it's something that I think every red blooded American should be passionate about. But you know, it's definitely a sore subject with me. I'm very tired of trying to explain this to people and and trying to get people to understand when in my personal opinion it really isn't hard to understand it's very very basic you, mm-hmm. you should never let the government trample your rights and any government infringement is is an infringement yeah this is the most important single um set of laws or like legislation um or just subject in general like firearms is the most important subject to securing your liberty because obviously like we said it's the it's the means to defy uh not necessarily always you know defy or like you know you don't want to be violent or kill people but it's it's the veiled threat of violence that unfortunately is what keeps government in check yeah it's it's arguably one of our most important episodes that we've done to date so i hope you guys enjoyed the episode and and definitely uh take some time to think about some of the stuff that we talked about and, and you know, it, examine a lot of this and come up with an, an opinion for yourself. But I definitely would hope you guys take uh, some of the facts and evidence that we provided you into consideration when you think about the Second Amendment. Um, but like I said, that is it for this week. We hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And until then, be easy. Peace. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Care that you're scared of a rifle. You don't even know what's a magazine left For listening, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Free for All podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the show and connect with us on Instagram to keep up to date with all the latest content. Peace.